Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. Going way back, what's the first brand imprint in your life? The first brand you remember having some sort of impact on you? The first brand that I can remember without a doubt is Toys R Us. I can even, you know, every time I went there, it was for you either got money for your birthday and you're going to cash it in. I still remember going there for that Huffy bike. I can even, I can remember the smell of the store. It had this distinct smell that even though they're not around today, I, I mean, where can you just throw your kids in the car and go, go get a toy? Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. Today, my guest on the CMO podcast is Alex Josephson. He's the head of global brand strategy at Twitter. What I really love about this interview is how super customer obsessed Alex is and how he works with hundreds of brands around the world to maximize their presence on the Twitter platform and help them grow their brands. Here's my conversation with Alex. Alex, welcome to the CMO Podcast. Thank you for having me. You are the head of global brand strategy at Twitter. Your wife is a VP at HBO. So I want to know, when you guys have coffee and a banana in the morning, what do you talk about? Wow. Are well, you like billions where you, talk about, you don't talk about work and you navigate <laughs> around it? Or do you go right into it? Yeah, we, we try to balance how much we talk about work versus how much we don't talk about work. And obviously there's given our roles within our respective companies, there's limitations to what we can and can't right. share with one another and talk about. But um, mostly in abstracts, you know, have you ever come across this type of situation or here's this scenario I'm dealing with? What do you think? And a lot of that is really more around like um, more sort of abstract decision making sure. and, and problem solving. But yeah, I mean, and Twitter and HBO actually you know, there's these moments where they kind of have love affairs with one another, right? So Game of Thrones, Game of right? Thrones is a perfect example. Or um, I never forget, you know, the, when Beyonce had unveiled the, the Lemonade visual album, right? Broadcast on HBO, and we're sort of in the house, and Rebecca's working because she manages um, customer service for all the streaming apps. Wow! And of course, they're like on fire because Beyonce is debuting this content, wow. and meanwhile, Twitter's blowing up, and you don't. It's sort of Twitter's informing what's happening in the broadcast, and we just sort of looked at each other and said, "Well, this is kind of funny." Yeah, sure. the world's really colliding. Yeah. You know? What? How do How do you see your two organizations differently? I mean, what? Are, how are the cultures different? Twitter versus HBO. What do you say? Well, I, I can speak certainly more to Twitter's sure, culture sure. Than, than HBO, yeah. but you know, HBO being an entertainment platform. Twitter being um, a communication platform mm -hmm. and entertainment, entertainment, you know, I mean, if you look at the most discussed topics of conversation on Twitter, music is one of them, sports is another one, right. and then entertainment, 
really is is the third yeah. kind of like top of the class and so everything from all the programming in the hbo kind of permeates the conversation on the platform yeah. on a day-to-day -day basis so are you a game of thrones fan i am a game of thrones fan although it's um it's a bit of a double-edged sword in our house because like accountants have tax season you know game of thrones is kind of like tax season for my <laughs> wife except uh or super bowl season for a marketer except there's six to twelve super bowl games in a row every game of thrones right year but yeah we we love the show were you happy or, were you happy how it ended i i was i i know they, they took a lot of flack mm -hmm. um from fans but i think maybe it's just one of those things where no one's ever really going to be satisfied with the way an iconic show like that sure ends you know and i thought they did a really great job and I think some of it is maybe fueled by the disappointment people have that the show is over. In fact, I read like there's the yeah, counseling services for hangover, hardcore right? Game of Thrones fans. Yeah. So maybe you take that anger out on how you think the yeah, storyline played probably out. what's going yeah. on. Yeah. So I want to do a couple little icebreakers sure, so we yeah. can get to know you a bit better. Uh, obviously, you're active on social media. What's one thing that we would not find out about you on any of the social channels? I think there's so there's two qualities that might that, that you wouldn't see um, in any of my feeds. The first is I have a laughable, like almost unbelievably poor sense of direction. So do I. Like we share that. I I would I I don't know. I would challenge you. Like if I'm sitting at a dinner in a restaurant for 45 minutes at a table and I get up to go to the bathroom, you can't find it. I might go the wrong direction coming out of the bathroom to go back <laughs> to the table. And that's it. But so I couldn't, I, I don't, I really wonder if I would have been able to function in a world prior to Google Maps. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing is- Is uh, your wife strong in directions? Yeah, actually yeah, it's like uncanny, here. uncanny. Like one trip, three hours, you know, away and she'll remember the diner on that one exit mm -hmm. where you turn left and- Good visual memory. Yeah, yeah. So you can imagine like road trips are- Fun. Like totally <laughs> harmonious and yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I guess the other thing is I love to draw which hmm. most people I think don't know um, about me. So I thought I wanted to go to art school for quite some time and I don't draw nearly as much now as I used to, um, but creativity has always kind of been, mm -hmm. you know, part of, I guess. My so how did that drawing start? How far back in your life? Yeah, Back to when I was about five or six, I think I'm thinking back to like comic books, superheroes, mm -hmm. um, things of things of that nature. And it just progressed from there. And the interesting thing is uh, my, one of my kids, my five-year-old son is like now he's obsessed with drawing and it's not something we, remotely it just came to it, it just mm -hmm. yeah it's like all he wants to do now is, is draw mm -hmm. so when you draw now what do you do what do you work on yeah mainly just with with riley my son will like sit at the kitchen table and he'll say i mean what's cool now is um we'll just take the ipad out yeah. and anything he wants to draw in his wildest dreams it could be like the new pokemon character or the eiffel tower you just pull it up and we just we just go and we'll draw the same thing together and then compare or he'll ask me to draw one thing and he'll draw another thing. And it's actually, it's, it's probably one of my favorite things to do, but you won't see that show up. I don't think mm -hmm. if you, if you comb my Twitter feed, you probably yeah. won't find that. So who is your favorite person to follow on Twitter? Oh, well, it's hard to choose one. Vala Afshar from mm -hmm. Salesforce. Mm -hmm. I don't know if yeah. you're familiar with him. Yeah. I think he's like the chief digital yeah. evangelist. It's a title that might sound mm -hmm. jargony, but Actually, his content's amazing. And it's a combination of tech news and business observations, but also these like crazy did you know facts. Like, here's all the companies Apple could buy today and still have half their market cap mm -hmm. just you know, left stuff. over. Yeah. yeah. And like leadership and 
corporate culture stuff that, again, you might think like oftentimes when people tweet about that stuff, it comes across as like fairly cliched. Right. But his stuff is it's really thoughtful. It kind of stops you in your tracks. It's a, you know, here's what happiness at work means. Yeah. And you read the list and you're like, okay, how many of these, how many of these sure. boxes am I checking? I'm like, how should I think about this? Yeah. yeah. It's great use but, of the platform, right? Yeah. But otherwise, you know, aside from people, TikTok is a show mm-hmm. produced by Bloomberg, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't air on TV. Yep. It airs 24-7 on Twitter. That's really great, like, real-time news service. Mm-hmm. New York Times, obviously. Yep. And then from, on a fun tip, I would say uh, Wu-Tang Finance. Mm-hmm. It's like yep. financial. If, if Wu-Tang Clan was a financial journalist, this is pretty much how they would see the world and what they would say. And so I love when their tweets just kind of interject my timeline and right, right. give me a moment to laugh or reminisce back to when one of their albums came out and yeah. doing different things. What about uh, consumer or business brands? Any that stand out for you in terms of following them and giving you fresh insights and making yeah. you laugh and think? Yeah, well, I would say you know brands like Nike mm-hmm. and Adidas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're the usual suspects, you know, Apple, if you will. Um, I mean, Wendy's is really, you know, it's probably not where, where you were going with that question, but they're a great follow yeah. on the platform. I was with the head of KFC marketing yesterday, and they're just really good on Twitter. Too. They're just yeah. good. They're just good overall. There's yeah. so much interesting, fun stuff in fast food. Dining is really. I think dining's having a moment in marketing, but they're it's really thriving on on Twitter. I mean, even you mentioned KFC. Did you see what they did in the UK last year, this past year? So there were like tweets basically saying like, "KFC, your fries yeah. are they suck. Right, they're awful. I'd rather eat garbage." And they were like, okay, we have a problem with our fries, first of all. Second of all, we're going to relaunch the fries, new recipe, completely revolutionize the product. And the ads we're going to we're gonna create to promote the fact that we have new fries are the tweets. So like tweets on bus stops in London, angry tweets about how terrible KFC fries are. And they're like, yeah, we heard you. But come back in. We've, like, we've changed the recipe because of this criticism. Yeah. Give it a shot. Yeah. No, they're really, they're, they're yeah. just creative. Invent- Burger King the same way. You know, yeah. Fernando Machado is a great leader. He just brings so much creativity out of his organization, his partners. Fernando is, I, I think he's one of the most dynamic CMOs in the game right now. I know you had him on the podcast yeah. a few yeah. weeks ago. It was, Actually, it was great. I got to say, yeah, having Chris and Lemkow and Fernando and following them a few weeks later is like slightly intimidating because they're You're doing a great icons. job. Yeah. <laughs> Birking's killing it. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about uh, Twitter and Twitter's journey. You've been mm-hmm. there seven years, mm-hmm. right? And you're now global head of strategy. Uh, tell me what's the biggest change in Twitter from the day you joined to now? Yes. So I joined about a year before we went public. And if you think back somewhere in between joining and going public, Twitter files for its S1. And when you file for your S1, you have to do a very simple thing, which basically on the first page of the document is state what your company is. (laughs) And I think it's sort of a known joke that Every board member, every member of the C-suite staff at that time all wrote down a different sentence. And they were all mm. kind of saying the right, the same thing, but they weren't the same thing is the point. And at the time, we just weren't really clear on like what the purpose was of the platform, why people use it. And fast forward a couple of years later, um, when our, our CMO, Leslie Berlin, enters the picture and you know, part of her first efforts were just clarifying like Twitter is what's happening. It's what people are talking about. You use it to understand what's happening in the world, to be informed, to inform other people. That's it. Super simple. And that, even just getting the entire company talking about the service that we were all building and working for 
every day of our lives was so powerful. And then that really just matriculated into the marketplace, right? And that helped us then clarify our value proposition to brands mm -hmm. on the business side, which is just, we're not the biggest audience. We're not the biggest platform. You're not necessarily right. going to come to us for the big turnkey reach and frequency play, but our audience is unique and they're receptive and they're influential. And that is an interesting place to start when you're launching a new message or trying to connect with culture. So seven years ago, what sorts of things were people saying Twitter was oh, before you really came together in your purpose? Yeah, global town square, pulse of the planet, things that all kind of sound yeah. the same, but just it just almost dressing it up in a certain way. Uh, and um, and the clarity that, um, that the, the purpose of the company brought was, I mean, if you look at even the product, right? Like how the product has changed over the years from a consumer standpoint, it's just been all about leveraging machine learning to make the app as relevant and engaging as possible for users. And so over time, like these weren't changes that, these weren't flashy product changes that like TechCrunch was gonna write about. But on the back end, we start to see those daily active usage numbers start to pivot in the right direction. And then, you know, we're now, I think it's 10 some odd quarters of DAU growth, which is a direct, you know, nine to 14% every quarter. That's a direct causation from these product just mm -hmm. iteration refinements that Working are on the behind the scenes. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. So other than coming together on your purpose, which is so critical, what are the other lessons for leaders in the revival of Twitter? I mean, your stock price, what, five, six years ago was low teens and it's now yeah. four times that or something. Yeah. Your engagement's up. And, uh, and it's a big part of my life. I mean, in frequency of usage, I'm, you know, I'm not sure I touch anything more than that yeah. times a day. So what, what were the lessons so in the revival? What, the reason I joined the company seven years ago is because I, I'll never forget the first time I walked into the office. And at the time we were like renting this Regis space in, in Midtown. And you could sense the people I was talking to all felt like they were part of something bigger than themselves. And that was that much was very very clear. And so the second I felt that, I said, "Oh, this like I must I must get this job. I must work at this company." Because what that did was, as we went through some business challenges, you know, po post IPO, 2013, 2014, 2015, and then ultimately where we deaccelerated in, in users at one point, um, you still had people who were there from the beginning, mm -hmm. and we felt a real sense of ownership in the brand and the business and the purpose, you know, even when things were tough, you'd still see things happening on the platform that were affecting, that had an effect on humanity, on culture. And he thought, this is part of something special. And if we can do this, this will be, it, I mean, it was so much more rewarding to get the business to where it is now, having gone through what we went through. And to this day, you know, a lot of the leaders of the company are people I was, you know, people who interviewed me, you know, almost seven years ago and we've been in the trenches together and we've worked side by side. So really, I think the sense of purpose, even when we weren't as clear about it in the marketplace mm -hmm. six years ago, that sense of purpose was still very much alive inside the walls of Twitter. And we just really stuck together. And, and, our, and our work is far from far from over. We're trying yeah. to build a service that outlives everybody working at the company, which is, right. which is a weird thing to say, but it's true. Yeah. You know, I was in a meeting yesterday and Hugh Johnston, the vice chair at Pepsi and CFO said, you know, business is an infinite game. There are finite games within business, but it's an infinite game. We're all here to sustain the enterprises, keep them going. And we sometimes lose sight of that, right? 
in the daily grind and the yeah, quarterly of course. grind. In the, in the, in the, yeah, and the stress and, and the pressures of a pitch or a quarter or a number mm-hmm. to hit or uh, absolutely. And that's, that's human nature and that's the nature of business. So. so describe the culture at Twitter to me. What's really strong about it and what do you think you're still working on? The culture is radically transparent. So that is, um, that is something that I think is, is, a, is a superpower in many ways. It's, it's difficult to balance that with you know, we're, we're dealing with high profile issues and you know, Twitter's kind of a, a black box at times. And, um, but, but the culture is radically transparent and that builds a great degree of trust from that, you know, you entry still level publish the, the notes from every meeting you have, so everyone can access them. That's that's right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and and um, it's pretty and, amazing. And it builds it builds it builds a great degree of trust with the company, and um, you know, even I think the thing that I love the most is we have these um, these tea time sessions around the world, and that's where we've done them on a local level. We'll do them on a global level, and questions are voted up and you know it's there's a really healthy open discussion where people congregate and then no topic is taboo and um that's really the way we go about our work day to day there's there's just um there's a level of transparency and accountability that's expected of you um the other thing that comes to mind is you're you're expected and invited to bring your whole self to work and so that is something that just speaking from personal experience, it's not the case mm-hmm. at at every company, regardless of what industry you're in, and and that is something that is I think rare. How and does that play itself out in daily life? Well, it creates an environment of safety and belonging, which I view as critical to any high functioning, high performing team or company. If people don't feel safety and belonging, then there is absolutely, aside from it just being like the humane way to want to run a business and to want to sort of employ thousands of people, um, that is really, there's no way people are going to come in and give you their best work if they don't feel safe and they don't feel like they belong and if they don't feel like um, they have a right to fail. Mm-hmm. In fact, you're, you're expected to fail. If you're not failing, you're probably not pushing the envelope far enough. Now, if you fail the same thing twice, that that's a different con- how, that's a different do, story. How do you as a leadership team keep that comfort with failure? That's one of the hardest things to do in a any culture. Yeah, so something that I probably don't do enough personally is when you fail, you 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 tell people. You know, when you're wrong, you admit you're wrong. Um, and even in situations where maybe no one even really noticed it or maybe they did but they're not saying it to your face. Um, it's really important that you come out and say, hey, I, we screwed this up. I thought this is the right decision, but it wasn't. Uh, the other thing as a leader and, and that I think is, is crucial, you know, at least speaking for, for our team, for, um, for, is surrounding yourself with a leadership team that isn't going to tell you what you want to hear. So my leadership team is um, very opinionated. We've all been working together for anywhere from five to seven years. And sometimes that's difficult because to get alignment from different handful of people from around the world who see things differently, whose local market nuances and personalities and strong opinions, it's tough to get alignment on strategic decisions. But the flip side of that is you're going to talk through decisions in a really candid, radically candid way before you decide what direction you're going to go in. And that's like, I always want people around me who are going to call 
BS versus people who are just going to kind of go with the flow because it's easier. I want to get into your job as global head of strategy in a moment, but what about the culture you're working on that you wish would be stronger? I, we are working right now and I speaking for my team specifically on more experimentation. Mm -hmm. So we're investing in more prototyping. We, you know, we do our best work. We work with the largest brands and agencies in the world. So our best days are when we work really far upstream on a strategic brief that ends up resulting in some type of activation that gets people talking and builds equity for the brand, right? But at the same time, we can't just wait for the perfect brief to come along from the right brand at the right time. If we have ideas, if we want to push the technical you know, capabilities of the platform or test the hypotheses, we have to go out and do it. We have to go out right. and build it. We have to go out and test it. And you know, for every 10 things we test, nine of them will probably not work and we have to be okay with that. So we're really focused right now on investing in those efforts from a resourcing standpoint, mm -hmm. from a financial standpoint, but also from a cultural standpoint to get sure. people to say like, you can run 90 miles in this direction and find out it was the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. We're okay with that because we, we just need to start placing those bets at a higher frequency. How will you know that you're making progress on that? I mean, what would the KPIs be? Would it be at, would it be at a, a number of experiments or percent of your budget or, or resources? Yes. So we are, we are really looking at experimenting in, in two areas. One from an insights mm -hmm. standpoint, because every idea we put in front of a marketer ideally should be informed by a behavior we're seeing on the platform and on our best days maybe we're informing decisions that actually have nothing to do with twitter and so in order to do that we need to continue to refine what's our approach to looking at insights on the platform it's not just pulling data points it's connecting those data points in a way that makes sense and so whether that's building new tools whether that's architecting new processes training the team on those things we're trying to figure out the right way to continue to up-level our skills and expertise on, on that side. On the other side is just playing with the API on Twitter. It's an open public platform, so tweets can travel anywhere. They can inform, they can make inanimate objects move. They can inform what you're seeing on billboards or on television. And so for us, we're really trying to ship at least one uncomfortable experiment per quarter from the brand strategy team, both from an insight standpoint and from a... Um, technological proto, uh, mm -hmm. product type standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMO succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. So let's talk about what you do, you know? So what, what, what buckets would your work fall into if I had to take apart your calendar for a year? Yeah, so what sure. Would I see? So what, what, tell our listeners what the yeah. global head of brand strategy for Twitter does. Yeah, so day-to-day, -day, customers truly are the top priority. So every single week I am meeting with brand clients, agency partners on the creative agency side, on the media agency side, typically when it comes to initiatives they have uh, that are coming up. So big launches they have or big moments 
events that their sponsors of or are part of. And so staying close to the customer and keeping my ear to the marketplace in that sense is is really a, a fairly decent size of my day-to-day time. The other- So for example, you know, looking out, it would be things like the Olympics in Tokyo, the- Absolutely. Super Bowl, elections, all sorts absolutely. of all the big yeah, milestones exa- in the media. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Tent pole events. Yeah. And then of course, like when it comes to what when the brand when brands are launching something new that could be a new message right that could be a new product that could be a new brand sub brand it could be a rebrand that's really those are our really our two sweet spots where we typically get um, called up to bat and brands I think we're we're trying to just simplify it more and more and these are the two jobs that you should really hire us for when you're launching something new or when you're trying to connect with a moment or an event that's happening in culture uh, so, so that's that's a big part of my day to day, and part of that is interfacing directly with with our with our clients and our partners, and then part of that is going like back into the, you know, back into the rooms of the whiteboards of the team and brainstorming ideas and trying to stay fresh, um, and constantly trying to bring. It's a huge job. I mean, how many brands at any given time is your team working? With? H- hundreds, 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 yeah, hundreds. Uh, because there's certainly brands who are strategic partners to us who are really leaned in and engaged on the platform, but then there's brands who maybe aren't quite as engaged but are a great product market fit. And it's also sort of, that's more of like an education and consultation approach where it's, here's what you could be doing on the platform. Here's maybe what your peers are doing mm-hmm. or brands like you and other markets are doing. Yeah. And then the lean in brand is more, you know, how are we going to top what we did at the Super Bowl last yeah. year, this year? How are we going to be the most talked about brand during the World Cup? How are we going to drive you know, relevance by X, X percent right. back to school season, things like that? Mm-hmm. Um, that's just, that's one big component I was at the Effie's Awards for 2019 recently, and Tide got the Effie for the crazy Super Bowl ad they did. Tide is every ad, so they leveraged Twitter very well on that. They, they, they did, and uh, Saatchi, I yeah. think, was a creative agency. Yep. They, they just they they, they completely nailed it. They completely nailed it, and they they put something out there that we talk a lot about with brands lately, and I'll be speaking about this in, in Canada in a couple of weeks, um, we really talk a lot about designing for communication versus just designing for consumption. So you have to design content for consumption. That's part of sort of like the health, day-to-day health metrics of your media mix model. But designing for communication is what helps you win outsized share of attention. And when you do that, you're going to likely hit whatever it is your traditional KPIs are. The only way to do that though is to start by listening to the audience and lean into some behavior where you, you know you're going to strike a nerve or do something to elicit a response or choose people to you know, force people to choose sides, mm-hmm. create tension. So I know you love all your clients, but if you had to pick two or three brands besides Tide who really use the platform well, who would they be? Yeah, so I'll, I'll, give, you, I'll give you three three very different brands from completely different categories. We, we mentioned Wendy's earlier, so I'll, I'll just... Yeah, that, that's probably not a surprise. They're kind of the bell of the ball on, right. on Twitter. Um, other marketers might be tired of hearing <laughs> say, "Oh, true, Wendy's right? is doing it right." But here's the thing: they they have they never very, get complacent, right? They never get complacent. They have very clear parameter. They give autonomy to the teams that are managing the account and and even you know running the strategy. And they have clear parameters on what they want to do and what they don't want to do. So when something unexpected happens, they don't really have to go through this whole rigmarole process of vetting what they're how they're going to respond or react. And a great example of this is, um, you know, last year they won at Cannes for, for this, for the, for the We Beefing mixtape. Now, they had beef with, I think it was Wingstop or another brand, and they, they basically came back out on the platform and they dropped, 
talk about launching something new. They launched an actual, like a hip hop mixtape, like a straight up mixtape. <laughs> this mixtape not only took over Twitter, I mean, Wendy's share of the mixtape conversation on Twitter up until this point, probably doesn't surprise you, is 0%. Mm-hmm. Within like a couple of days, 70% of the mixtape conversation on Twitter was about Wendy's. Crazy. They had, I think, other albums that came out that month were like Snoop Dogg, Chief Keef, and like somebody else. They had exponentially more conversation about their mixtape than these guys. And then the tape trends on Spotify and iTunes worldwide. So suddenly you're asking yourself, Design for are they, communi- yeah, communication. Like, are they right? going to win a Grammy? Like, is that like <laughs> is that the new like? Forget about can. I mean, the Effie, No disrespect, the Effies, but like, could like could they win like a like a Grammy? They make cheeseburgers, chicken nuggets. Like, so when he's won, I think switching gears. If you look at Adidas or Adidas, depending on, on mm-hmm. where you're in the world when mm-hmm. you listen to this podcast, um, they really. I mean, they're a retail brand that often acts like an entertainment brand, and they leverage the platform really well when it comes to launching something new. So, when they rolled out their new, they launched their new Ultra Boost sneaker. Right. Uh, you know, big thing is it comes in all these variations of colors and styles, and so you built this. This you, you're not going to go and wait in line. Not everyone can go wait in line, right? The true sneakerheads will, but there's sneakerheads on Twitter who just like aren't, aren't going to get there. So how do they replicate that experience? And they basically created this experience where every day and every week when a new design dropped, you would you could sign in through a tweet just to get those notifications. So your pocket would buzz. You'd get a notification on Twitter. Oh, new color of the Ultra Boost is out. And they would they basically stretched what could have just been like, here's the Ultra Boost in 12 different colors, day one, right? big launch, to what ended up being like several weeks of buzz and suspense and so that's they're they're really they really architect and orchestrate those moments really well on the platform, and then it's you know it's not always fair to reference entertainment brands and people say who's doing it well on Twitter, but when I look at you know, Disney for an example, I mean they just they really know how to launch a film and and get the most out of Twitter. Avengers Endgame was the most tweeted about movie of all time just a couple of weeks ago, and those are experiences that they build that go well beyond Twitter, live content, you know, out-of-home extensions. It's it's a full-blown 360 experience, and they really get the most out of the platform, I think, time and time again. Do you find these clients are generally doing this inside the company themselves, or are they bringing agencies in to help them? So we we do our, our best work helping brands truly is when we are fully integrated with their agency partners. So creative agencies, media agencies, that it, that's not, you know, that's not hyperbole or me trying to say the right thing. Like that's truly when the best work happens mm-hmm. because we don't claim to know your brand or your product better than the agencies of record who are maybe even like walking your halls every single day of the year. So what we can do is say, okay, on what 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 are the insights we can bring you that either affirm what you're trying to do or maybe tell you something new? And then what's the technology we can bring that on top of those insights that makes your idea go 50,000 miles further or makes your beautiful TV spot do something differently on the on the platform generate you know incremental ROI but by and large you know, I think so for us agencies are a key com- partner in any equation on any opportunity any project any brief of course the rise of internal agencies is something that can't be denied mm-hmm. and you know even if you look at recent data from the ANA that's right. something that's that's clearly on the rise yeah, yeah. So you have one of the more unusual situations with your CEO, right? He is CEO of two companies and successfully CEO of two companies. And he's probably part of the resurgence of Twitter as well as he came back. So any insights in how you work with such a interesting and creative CEO? I mean, what, 
what, what lessons do you have in working with Jack and getting the most out of what Jack brings to the party? Yeah, so I, I don't interact with, with Jack that often, so I don't want to speak you know, for him, but all the cultural elements of Twitter that I mentioned earlier, how the company behaves, what our principles are, I mean, it starts, it starts with him. And he lives that and he breathes that and he communicates that very clearly to the company. And there is something that I will say having you know, a founder as a CEO is there's you, you can't put a value on that you know because you just the conviction that he brings with every communication that he you know every message that he relays to the company it's it's just authentic it's genuine and you can tell how much he cares about this service and and about what we're all building and he does it with an air of humility that i think you know, the guy has invented two multi-billion dollar companies in like the span of a decade. And the level of humility with which he carries himself is like, is like astounding and that's contagious. And that, that's really, that's, that's really, that's your expectation on, on how you should carry yourself within the company. It goes a long way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's talk about you as a leader and switch from Twitter to this and make it even more personal. So you've had a really interesting career, right? Viacom and other organizations as well since you graduated from college. So what's your special gift as a leader? Selflessness, I think. I think selflessness is, um, I guess I would say that's, that's maybe my superpower. At least that's what, that's what the feedback is when you look at sort of those leadership mm-hmm. profile circles. There's other things I don't do well, but, but selflessness seems to be the thing that I um, that I, I tend to be consistent about. So when you say that, you mean it's about the team and the goals and yeah. the clients? And- yeah, yeah. Trying to put the team first, um, getting to the markets around the world, spending time there, really trying to understand what's going on there. Um, and that's that's invigorating and that's exciting. But at the same time, that that requires a lot of you, you know, physically, mm-hmm. emotionally, and your, your time as well. And so... I think that's that's important for the team to see. I, th- I think they see that. I hope they see that. Um, but when all else fails, even if you're doing a terrible job, <laughs> but you're going about it in a selfless fashion, I do think people at least trust your intentions. Mm-hmm. So if you look at your career, we've talked about a strength of yours and something you're working on. What's been the most challenging time for you? Not just at Twitter, but in your whole career. And what was that and how did you overcome it? Yeah. Okay. So I won't, I'm not, I won't name mm-hmm. places, but I think when you find yourself in an environment that's highly political um, at earlier points in my career, I think that that can be super challenging because you know, typically that's happening at a higher level within a company and everybody kind of on the ground actually like wants to do good work and wants to get along nine times out of 10. But when you see leadership in conflict, it makes it really hard to do your job. And then suddenly it makes it really hard to be happy at work. And so I'm not, this isn't a shameless plug for Twitter, but like then suddenly when people, when we get to Twitter, we're like, oh wow, none of that exists. And this is a very different place. And that's why you'll see people at this company for two, three X longer than they've been anywhere else. I've never been in a company prior to Twitter for longer than three years, most places two years. So, um, so that, you know, finding myself in that environment at least twice for extended periods of time prior to coming to Twitter was a real challenge, but I learned a ton. I learned a lot, you know, d- learned about diplomacy, mm-hmm. learning about, okay. Well, it informs your leadership style now. Yeah, if everyone around you is, is, is being political, why don't you be the guy who's, who's not, 
maybe maybe they won't trust you for that either. But um, that that suddenly can become your your strength or your superpower. And so um, so all of those environments that I've been in, I've I've learned a great deal, and I still draw back on those experiences now, even though I'm in a very very different environment that I'm really grateful for. Mm-hmm. So let's now get a, your perspective on a few industry issues, and then uh, and then we'll wrap it up with a lightning round. Sure. So, you know, many of the many of the great brands of the last twenty years, you know, Facebook, Google, they're getting rocked by abuse of their platform, you know, and you guys are not immune to it as well, right? So, any insights for uh, users of the platform for brands about you know, how do you think we'll get in front of this? How, how are we going to get on top of this? Yes. So it's not easy. The answers are not intuitive. No, it's not easy. It's not intuitive. I, I can speak for our platform. I can't necessarily speak for for the other platforms. Um, but this whole space is, by the way, is, is incredibly new. You know, we're, we're, th- we're a 13-year-old company. You know, the other companies are not much right. older in the scheme of things. You look at media, you look at advertising. Mm-hmm. This is a very small sliver of time. So um, it's really just beginning for us. Health for us is the, is our number one priority as a company. We've been very, very public about that. That doesn't mean we've solved that equation entirely. We have a lot of work left to do, but it's our top priority. I think we we communicated like over seventy different changes to our our policy platform terms. You know, policies over the, in twenty eighteen, and um, I can talk a little bit about you know some of the, the efforts that we're, we're making in that space. But for us. Health is the number one priority because, you know, those those daily active usage numbers that I mentioned that are going up and up and up. You know, without a healthy without a, a healthy conversation happening on the platform, people aren't going to continue to come back. Mm-hmm. And oh, by the way, that's that's you know, well, if people aren't there. Yeah, advertisers aren't going to yeah. going to come back. And so, so when you say healthy conversation or health, you mean transparency, trust. Oh, right. So I'll, so I, so I'll, two, I'll answer that question in, in two ways. Mm-hmm. The first, from a user standpoint, the beauty of Twitter is you know, conversation is our, is our superpower. We're an open and public platform. Mm-hmm. So tweets can go anywhere. You can interact with anybody at any given time. We don't have to be friends or connections. With that comes debate. You see everyone's perspective. Sure. And of course, sometimes that conversation crosses the line. And so we're focused on those conversations, first of all, being safe and secondly, being healthy. And so this in the past year, we've really focused on using machine learning to detect those moments when the line is being crossed, when our when our terms of service are being violated mm-hmm. by some action on the platform. And in the past, we put the onus entirely on the user to report those moments, which really isn't fair. And so now by using machine learning, we're proactively surfacing those tweets, those moments to a team of humans within the company who can then take action on that. And so we're, you know, proactively, um, we've, we've acted pro our proactive actions on those type of moments is up like 38% today versus a year ago when we were, when we, we didn't have this in place at all. As a result, the level, the volume of abuse reports we're seeing from our users has gone down substantially. So from, from that's that's from a user standpoint. Yeah. Um, but from an advertiser standpoint, I think what you're getting at with with ad transparency mm-hmm. and brand safety and, and ad fraud and things yeah. of that nature. For us, um, you know, we every ad you run, we again are relying on machine learning on the one hand to make sure your ad is running within premium, well-lit environment. Mm-hmm. If it's in-stream advertising, pre-roll, if you will, right. that it's running in front of brand-safe, premium content. 
But even with the machine learning in place as a last line of defense, we do have a team of human beings who are auditing every single pre-roll impression to make sure it's running in front of content that's that's appropriate. It's a huge challenge for the industry, yeah, um, obviously, it and it's 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 not going away anytime soon. Topic of so. every conference. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And then working with third-party, mm-hmm. you know, accredited yeah. um, corporations who are auditing this as well. I, you know, Integral Science, Moat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So on and so forth, the MRC. So what do you think advertising will look like in 10 years? <laughs> what, do I, what do I think it'll look like or what do I hope it, it will look like? Both. Yeah, oh. I, so I, I still cringe every time I hear the word social or social media. I think everything is social. I think the agencies who are really like leading the way are the ones like, there's not like a social team over here. Um, mm-hmm. You know, actually, we're we're at VaynerMedia. They're a great job of that, right? I, the, of doing, of leaning in and desegregating social. I mean, we still from people are still using the digital word too. Yeah, well, that, well, it's a, it's a very similar thing, right? So it's like if you make a TV spot or throw up an ad in Times Square or in the latest issue of GQ, like people are going to talk about that on Twitter or on elsewhere, and there's nothing you can do about that. So everything is inherently social, and I think. Marketers are starting to really come to grips with that, but I still think there's a ton of runway for that. And I would say it was five years or 10 years Mm -hmm. from now, I think we will look back on the way that phrase is used and and probably laugh because it's just the way things are. Um, Our kids, like they, they, my kids will never know a world where social media didn't exist. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like if you think back to when the internet was invented, listen to how people talk about the internet for the first 10 years versus now. It's just, it's, a, it's an assumption. The internet is just part of life. Right. That's, that's the way it'll be in 10 years. And that's, and that's the way it is, the direction it's going. And now, and that'll have a downstream effect. Do on you see any structural change in advertising in the next 10 years? Do you see anything that will be blown up or that will be, will be radically more of or less of? The, this is less of a prediction, but more of an observation that I think everyone is watching right now, which is like the, which is consultancies. And the role they're starting to play, if you look at the acquisition of Droga 5, mm-hmm. for instance, by Accenture or um, was it Deloitte that I think acquired right. huge. Yeah, yeah, he, that, he, yeah, yeah. That's, um, that's a really interesting pattern to watch, particularly we've talked a lot on this uh, today about you know, data and insights. And mm-hmm. if you think about creativity still, if you ask Nielsen, creativity still drives 50% right. of sales attributes for any given ad campaign. And that's not something that can be you know, good creative can't be made by machines, but it can be made by really deeply informed insights rooted in data. So I think that dichotomy that's suddenly blending between big consultancies and sharp creative shops mm-hmm. is is converging in 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 that's that's gonna that's going to pick up speed. Like I don't think that's a trend that's going to stop. I think you're going to see more and more of that, and that obviously complicates the landscape whether you're a brand marketer or an agency or a platform or a publisher, but that's, uh, that's, that's a train that is not stopping anytime soon. Mm-hmm. You know, the FE organization, which is a global organization that awards, you know, effective marketing, they just had their 50th anniversary and they analyzed their data for 50 years. And they found that, you know, we, we, we get preoccupied with the channels and the pipes and so on, but they said, basically, it's the creative idea that drives everything. So if the creative idea is right, it will get shared. It will be in lots of channels. So really focus on the insights, the creativity, get the idea right, and you know it will go where it goes. Yeah, I, I was speaking recently to a head of global media for a major 
um, alcohol brand. And they said, it used to be, I could say, I could tell my clients like, I'll, I'll, it's okay, the creative is bad, I'll make it work. Give me a big enough budget, I'll make it work. But that was in a linear world. And in a nonlinear world, you know, you're in, you're, you're in a timeline or a feed that's moving at a rapid pace and there's a lot of distraction and you can't captivate the audience on TV in the way that you used to. Um, cord cutters, cord shavers, cord, whatever people are doing to the cord these days. Um, that's not necessarily the case. So, you know, this, this, I think the industry has kind of been lobotomized by this notion of just cheap turnkey reach. And there's a place for for broad reach in 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 marketing, but I think well, great creativity can help you do that, right? Y- right, yeah. And I mean, when you think about earned, right? I mean, like I, I hops fake rebrand from mm-hmm. a year ago. I'm sure they'll be shortlisted for a right. litany of awards and can this year. They a couple of well placed tweets over the course of a month, good simple content, drove Twitter crazy, generated over 40 billion media impressions not just on Twitter, but in the world, drove the stock price up by almost 3% and quadrupled their burger sales. So a creative idea, and I'm sure Droga, you know, that wasn't just like, that wasn't a whim. The community manager didn't say like, oh, let me just try this. Mm -hmm. Like Droga, like they must have had to really just like run through walls to pitch that idea into to the CMO. Um, So a good creative can, you know, make your paid work Mm -hmm. exponentially harder for you. So the FE organization awarded the top five brands for creative effectiveness in the last 50 years. And they were Apple, Nike, IBM, Dove, and MasterCard. So do you have any reaction to that or a brand that you thought might be in there if you're looking at creative effectiveness over 50 years? Over 50, I mean, 50 years is, you know, you really got to... Yeah, dig back in the catalogs of you know if you think about fifty years. But I all mean, those brands, yeah, they are all vital totally. Today. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I mean, just none of those surprise me. Mm-hmm. Apple, I think, can just named Apple Marketer of right. the Year. Sure. You know, mm-hmm. at age, I think it was named Nike Marketer of the Year. Um, Nineteen eighty four ad for Apple. If we want to go back decades here, which is mm-hmm. clearly what their intention was. Nike is just, I mean where do you even start you know for us huge you know with the Kaepernick campaign starting with a tweet you know is is was was a really interesting thing to watch um so no I don't think those brands surprised me Dove they really they talk about purpose-driven brands right. I mean, they did it at a time before this was the trendy thing to do and they took a risk and I would say that risk has paid off mm-hmm. I mean if you you know I think if you talk to people they still remember that moment, you know, and if you're an adult, you certainly remember that moment being like a teenager and adolescent, you know, mm-hmm. when those issues really are hard to grapple with. And I think they've left a lasting impression on the minds of, of yeah. many people. Yeah, I think if you think about those five brands, they're all, they're all purpose inspired or purpose driven in their own way. Their leadership is as well. And when they're at their best, they're really bringing that to life. Yeah. And, and by the way, you know, the word purpose has been appropriated a lot, mm-hmm. but purpose is like, what is, why does your company exist? So, um, and, and, and all those companies have a really clear why. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Alex, this has been fun. Let's end with a lightning round. Let's do it. Okay. Brand you cannot live without. That's not Twitter. <laughs> you beat me to it. Uh, Amazon. They have permeated every aspect of our households mm-hmm. and our family from the products we buy to the shows we watch. It's, They've, we, we couldn't function without, I agree. without Amazon. Yeah. Favorite craft brew? Tough decision. Ballast Point IPA. 
Sculpin IPA mm. is, is my go-to lately. So you're a heavy-duty IPA person. I'm a big like IPA guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Content you're now watching. Love documentaries. So Theranos documentary enthralled me. I'm watching the case against uh, Adnan Syed from the Serial podcast. Yep. So uh, documentary. Yeah, those are big. Ozark. I'm waiting for Ozark to come back. That's probably right now. I love that. My favorite. My, my favorite show that's still in running. Mm-hmm. Jason Bateman, Laura Lenny. Yeah, I mean, that fantastic. show. Just, I, I Stranger Things it. comes out July. Oh 4th. yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Stranger Things. Yeah. I, how can I forget that? Yeah. 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 So favorite current musician. Oof. Or band. Wow. It's tough to choose. I would go back to Tribe Called Quest. It's just something that just, mm-hmm. you know, it's just always been it's part of my upbringing. And yeah. it's just, it, you'll find it. It's always recently played in my, in my uh, iPhone. Any book you're reading now? Peaceful Parents, Happy Kids. Good. Peaceful Parent, Happy Kids. Sorry. Very good. It was basically about patience and... Um, I'm probably, yeah, it, exercising patience and, uh, you know, how to sort of, how to, how to treat toddlers and understand what they're thinking and what their psyche yeah. is doing. We're going to have Scott Galloway on the podcast, his new book, The Algebra of Happiness. It's sweet. Take a look. Uh, yeah, I, someone For mentioned a, that to me recently, actually. Yeah, it's yeah, very sweet. Okay, I'll give that a shot. So any podcast you're listening to now? Oh, obviously, obviously <laughs> yours. I mean, truly, truly yours. I've devoured it um, over the last couple oh, weeks. Uh, so a friend of my team or teammate of mine recommended Sweathead from Mark Pollard, Mighty mm-hmm. Jungle. That's a great one, particularly for you know, strategy geeks, marketing geeks. Uh, binge mode from The Ringer was like, you know, particularly during Game of Thrones. I, I can't even. I'm actually embarrassed to, to think about the number of hours I listened to binge mode over the last you know six to eight weeks. Those are those are a few that yeah. come to mind. Favorite yeah. weekend activity? Getting on the grill. Cooking some steaks or some chicken, have that IPA open. The kids are <laughs> running around the backyard. Some Bob Marley on the. Let's go Sonos. do that. That's uh, that's that's pretty much like Let's that's my happy that. place. Yeah, that sounds good. Thank yeah. you, Alex. This has been thanks, Jim. Wonderful. It's been great. A lot of fun. That was Alex Josephson. What I loved about that conversation was his passion for the purpose of Twitter and how that is shared by the entire leadership team, and more importantly, how that comes to life in their daily work. I also love Alex's talk about his strength as a leader or his gift is this selflessness he has that really was instilled from his father. And then finally, I loved his favorite craft brew because it's also one of my favorites. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribe so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.